All right. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, come on. You know, y'all know y'all going to have to talk to me. Good morning. Good morning. So where's Ryan at? Ryan, I was thinking whenever you mentioned James's name and, uh, and you talked about 1983, I was one years old whenever James uh, was, was put into jail. And the interesting thing about that is that is exactly 40 years from, from the day to this year, 83 to 2023, that is 40 years. And 40 is a very significant number in the Bible. 40 is a, a time of testing. 40 is a time of, of growth. It can mean a time of judgment. Like 40 is this time that God uses to prep and prepare you. You think about Moses. When Moses was in Egypt, whenever he left Egypt, he was out there for how long? He was out there for 40 years, right? So God took this time where Moses had this calling on his life to do something amazing for the kingdom of God. And for 40 years, he prepared him in a way that none of us would have guessed. Nobody would have expected that the way to prepare Moses to be able to lead a million people out of a nation that was the most powerful nation on this earth would be to send him into a wilderness with a shepherd to lead sheep for 40 years. Nobody would have guessed it. And I was thinking about James, and if we could, please, I just want to take a minute, and and we want to talk to James. Because for 40 years, James has thought probably his life does not have purpose. For 40 years, he has known that he has been wrongly accused. For 40 years, he has been in a sort of wilderness, and now he's been released. So let's go into a moment in prayer for him for a second before we get started. Uh, Father God, in the name of Jesus... We thank you, God, that no matter what we see in the flesh, that the purposes that you have for us, they are not contingent on what we have to experience. They're not contingent on the hardships. They're not contingent on the ups, and they're not contingent on the downs. Father, we thank you that the purpose that you have for us are eternal, that before the foundation of the earth, you saw every single person in this room, and God, you saw James, and you sent us to do things for your name's sake, for the kingdom of God's sake, to be able to bring your will and your works and your glory into this place. And so, Father, we pray for James this morning. God, I pray that now that he is released, that nothing will hold him in bondage. God, I pray that you would be able to release him to be able to do a witness and a testimony for your name's sake, that for 40 years of pain, that it would turn out for 40 years of glory, that what the enemy meant for evil, God, that you would take that and manifest it for a testimony and a witness of the power and the goodness of God, that the same way that Moses came back to the very people and the very place that he grew up with and he was able to deliver those that were held captive there that James would be used for those people that have been put in prison that have been put in places where they do not know that they have been wrongly accused and that he might be able to do something great for your name's sake God that he would put down and let go of anything that holds him in bondage and that he would pick up the glory and the majesty and the beauty of the living God And that in doing that, God, that his life would be able to bring you glory in a way that none of us could have ever imagined. We never could have penned his story. And we never could have penned his glory that he would bring for you. And we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so let's jump in. Today we are going to be talking about the discipleship factory. Absolutely one of my favorite Topics because it involves every single person in this room. There's nobody underneath the sound of my voice 
that what we're going to talk about does not pertain to you. I hope that you will be encouraged. I hope that you will be empowered. But mainly, I hope that you will adopt an idea that when we walk out of this room, it causes us to make choices differently. All right. But the youth are at a disadvantage, old people. We're at a disadvantage because Dave has been teaching us about discipleship for weeks. So they don't have the background or the backstory to anything that we have been talking about. So we're going to have a moment of discipleship trivia before we jump off in here so that we can catch them back up. Here's the way that this is going to work. I'm going to click a button. The button's going to have a question. If you know the answer to the question, you're going to have to raise your hand and you can say it out loud. First one is the easy one, okay? First one is the easy one. Must be present to win. First question for discipleship trivia is, we're going to go through the who, what, when, where, why, and hows of discipleship. First question is, who created discipleship? This is the easy one, low-hanging fruit. Becca. Jesus. Boy, Becca. Here you go, sweetheart. Take you a little sign. Starbucks gift cards for all those who are willing to play. Yeah. Now, look. Watch. Now, I want y'all to watch the number of hands that go in the air now. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's engaged. All of a sudden, everybody's ready. Look. Maddox over there got his hands in his, in, his, in his lap now. They were in his pockets. Now he done moved them to his lap. I saw you. Uh-huh. Big old smile on your face, boy. All right. Question number two. Are we ready? Yeah. Are we ready? Yeah. All right. Lord Jesus, let's get it. Question number two. What is discipleship? Mm. Oh, I heard a mm. That was a Baptist. Mm. Where'd that come from? Who can give us one sentence or less? Now, be careful. Because if your answer has to start with when I was a child or, or, uh, or actually or, or to make a long story, I mean, that's probably not the direction we want to go. But if you were to have to answer that for an unbeliever, what would you say? Dave, go. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But you, know, you can only win one, though. <laughs> to learn to be like your leader. To learn to be like your leader. Pastor Dave. Go on down. Grab it with your good arm. <laughs> All right. Discipleship, the process of learning to be like your leader. We're going to dig into that a little bit more. Question number three. When did God implement discipleship in the earth? Any takers? I heard, I heard the youth whispering over there. Big old smiles. I love it. All right. We're going to end up. Yes, ma'am. Girl, you better work. <laughs> you better work. I'm trying to tell you. Yes. Ab- Tokes, did you whisper that to her? <laughs> oh, she is your teacher? All right. All right. She said, call me rabbi. I love it. Hey, I do the same thing to my wife, just not in public places. So <laughs> we've got the Garden of Eden. Peter. Well, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth, and all things were created through Jesus. So, because they're the triune nature of God. <laughs> he was. He was. Yeah, Jesus is God, triune nature of the earth. Colossians says that all things were created through and by Jesus. So, I get what Peter's saying. So, what Peter's trying to point to, he's talking about the incarnate Jesus, the triune nature of God, Jesus in the flesh. But the spirit, the Christ, has, he's eternal. Before the, the, the earth was formed, Colossians says that all things were birthed through Jesus, right? And that he has always been one, ahad, unified with God. So the physical man, Jesus, 
or the eternal nature are two totally different things. But Becca, I'm right there with you. Number three. I <laughs> Here we go. We got a couple more questions. According to the Bible, where did God implement discipleship on the earth? This would be an easy one if y'all were just paying attention. Come on. Where did? She got it. She got it. Oh, yes. Garden of Eden. I'm so sorry. Garden of Eden. All right, come on down. Come on down. You get your moment on the internet. Let's go. <laughs> Smile and wave to your family. <laughs> All right. Yes, on the Garden of Eden. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into that as well. Two more questions. Are y'all ready? I've got two more gift cards up here. Two more gift cards. All right. Here we go. How did God originally structure discipleship to function in the earth? How did God originally structure discipleship to function in the earth? David. David, you better work. Becca laughed because she knows that's going to her. That's <laughs> you can always tell when the, when the women get all the good stuff. It's when the husband wins and they celebrate, right? <laughs> David hadn't had Starbucks in six years. All right. Last question, last question, last question. Here we go. Last question. Why did God create discipleship? Hmm. What is always important, the why, is where the power lies. Yes, ma'am. To win souls for his kingdom. I'm going to give you credit because you're my mother-in-law. <laughs> I'm going to give you credit for you, and I know you want that gift card. You got it. You got it. And we're going we're gonna to develop that idea. Ultimately, the ultimate uh, idea behind it is going to be founded on truth, but we're going to develop that idea about winning souls for the kingdom more and more and more and more and more. So that's where we're going to begin. So what is discipleship? Discipleship is, repeat after me, the maturation and replication of the character and nature of God. All right, one more time. Repeat after me. Discipleship is the maturation and replication of the character and nature of God. This is what we are called to do as kingdom citizens on the earth. At the very beginning, God had a plan. And his plan, his purpose was that we, mankind, you, me, together would take and be the vehicle to represent God before all creation. And I know that that's crazy. Because when we look at ourselves, I know you don't see you and I don't see me as the thing that God would choose to represent the creator of time, space, and matter, the creator of Jupiter and these stars and all this stuff that's so grand. I wouldn't have chose me because I know me. I live with me. I've been with my every high and I've been with my every low. I know the decisions that y'all don't know about that if you did know about them, I don't know if you'd smile at me the way that you smile at me. Right. But God knew that before he created me. And yet he still sent us here, you and me, to represent the glory of the living God by walking in his image and his likeness, which is crazy. We can have God's nature. We can have God's nature. Maddox, you can have God's nature. 
And in everything that we do, we represent that. We have this capacity within us to take an aspect of God and to bring it into time and then to offer it and serve it up to the world in a way that they can receive it. And it points back to him and it gives him glory and honor and praise. And for some reason, that was the way that he chose to deliver his glory to the world. For some reason, that was the vehicle that he chose to take a piece of heaven and the culture of the kingdom of God and to expand it from the eternal space place, the spiritual realities, and to put it here. It's us. So he chose to do this by expanding his glory and the kingdom of God. And our job, say my job, job. is to influence earth do we live like that when I go to work on Monday am I thinking how am I going to influence earth for the kingdom of God today when we do the things that we do that we think are hobbies but we're interacting with people that don't know God how am I going to influence these people for the heaven kingdom of God say everything is about influencing earth for heaven's interests So discipleship is, it's the maturation and the replication of the character and nature of God. That's in us for the purpose of expanding God's kingdom. And I think Dave's going to make these slides available or something like that on the internet. I I intentionally put this stuff up in there so that you can go through it and read it and read it and read it and read it. If the only time that we see Dave's information is here, we missed it. We missed discipleship. So according to the Bible, when did discipleship begin? Y'all guys hit it right on the button. Discipleship began in the beginning. In the beginning. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that the earth was without form and void. And that darkness was on the face of the deep. And that the spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. And then God spoke. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And God called the light day. And he said that this was good. And that same God who spoke the sun into existence, who spoke the earth into existence, who spoke the moon into existence, who hung Jupiter and put the the ring around Saturn, like that same God, he did not stop speaking. Because the Bible says that on the sixth day, he begins to speak again. And guess who he spoke to? To us, to you and to me. Dave said it in Ephesians, before the world began, he saw every one of us. And when he spoke to us, he says, this is how you're supposed to be. There is one way that we function properly. In the Hebrew, the word good means tov. Tov means functional. So when God said, let's let the water stay here, let's let the earth stay here, and then he said, this is good. He's saying, this is functioning according to my will. When God said, let's throw the sky up there and the land down there and stick the air in the middle that we call the atmosphere. And he said, this is good. What is he saying? He says, this is functioning according to my will. And then he comes to me and to you and to every human that's going to come after. And he says, there is one way that you can function. There is one thing that is good. There's one place where you can be, where you are tov, where you are good. And he says, that's when you are in my image and when you are in my likeness. And the word for image there, believe it or not, it's the word for idol. 
There's a story in the Bible where Israel was taken captive and the Ark of the Covenant was stolen and the Ark goes to the Philistines and it's causing them all kind of crazy trouble. They're breaking out in boils, they're getting sick and they're trying to figure out what is going on and it says that they made a cart and they put the Ark on it and it says that they made some idols to send back to the Israelites. The same word for idol that is used in that scripture is the same word for idol that is used to describe me and you. Guess what it means? It doesn't mean the object. It means something that points to the object. So if I make a mouse, it's not a real mouse. But when I look at it, what do I think about? A mouse. So God said, when they look at you, because you're made in my image and my likeness, Guess what? The way that we function, the way that we think, the way that we live, the way that we operate, everything that we do, we are supposed to point back to the existence of a God without time, space, and matter, the existence of a God whose character is perfect, the existence of the eternal creator of the earth. That's what we do. We are his idols. We point the whole world back to his existence. He said, when you're doing that, it is good. And you can have dominion. So God protected his power with his character. How many people you know fall because they don't have character? How many of you people you know they're handed this great level of authority in the earth and power? And if you just give them enough time, we see it in athletes, we see it with musicians, we see it with celebrities. If you just get, we see it with politicians. If you just give them enough time, their character brings the whole thing tumbling down. God protected his power with his character. And this is where it gets exciting. He says that he created them, male and female. Guess what that means, ladies? You are equal in every way. And any person, place, or thing who tries to make you less than what God says that you are should be rejected immediately. You were created with the same image. You were created with the same likeness. You were created with the same dominion that mankind was made with. And in God's perfect plan for rulership, man couldn't do it without woe man. So everything that you are and everything that you, it's all on purpose. And, And it doesn't take away from you. It adds to you that we're different. You have different roles. You are equal in being, and yet you've been assigned different roles. You are equal in being, and yet you've been assigned different roles. And God looks at this situation that he created, and he goes to them, and he says, look, this is the situation that I want to fill the whole earth. This is the situation that I want to replicate in the whole earth. I want this image and this likeness working through you to spread to every single inch of existence. We keep looking for Eden like that was a place, a singular place. Eden was something that was supposed to expand to the whole earth. It was a starting place for the glory of God. It was just an introduction. And everything that was in Eden was supposed to spread to everywhere else. 
So you've got a man. And what did God tell the man? Genesis 2. The Bible says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That's our dirt bodies. You and I have a dirt body. It's not who we are. It's not who we are. It's something that allows us to interact in this physical place. He took this dirt body and it says that he breathed into it the breath of life and then it became a living soul. Your soul makes you different. Christian is different from Rain, who's different from Kenyon. They have different quirks and different personalities and different issues that make me want to choke them all out. (laughs) I can't discipline them the same. I can't reward them the same. Christian, I could threaten him with the belt. And he just started changing behaviors just randomly. It wouldn't even been what he did it wrong. Hey, I'll mop the floor, Uncle. <laughs> Anything. Rain. I could just talk to him. He's very rational. Son, you're acting crazy. He be, well, tell me about that. <laughs> Kenyon? Kenyon? Most of you don't know this, but my right shoulder is a prosthetic shoulder. Kenyon? I whipped him one time. And after one time, within 30 minutes, he was doing the same stuff. He didn't even change it up. It wasn't even something different that I could. It was the exact same thing. And I realized that if I value the longevity of being able to do this or being able to be on the dance floor with my wife, like if I valued my shoulder because he's different, I've got to be different. They're all made distinct and special, and yet they're all filled with the glory of God. They're all filled with gifts and talents and abilities to spread the image of the living God, and they're all men. What is a man? From a Bible's perspective, remember, we're not from this kingdom. Young people, you didn't hear this. You weren't here. I need you to get this. You are not from this kingdom. You are not just a United States citizen. You are not. You are not. The world is going to tell you that you are a citizen of the United States of America. That is not the whole truth. You are first a citizen of the kingdom of God. And in our kingdom, we have rules and statutes and a way of doing life that's different. It's just different. We don't talk like everybody else. We don't walk like everybody else. We don't dress like everybody else. We don't think like everybody else. Because our frame view and our worldview for life, it goes through a book called the Bible that has the principles of the constitution of the kingdom of God. So when I come to you and I say, look, I get it. This is what the world is saying is true. But let's come about where we're from. I don't go to Saudi Arabia and tell them how to do life. I don't go to Europe and tell them how to do life. That's their land. When I go there, I ask them, how do y'all do things here? Oh, we drive on the left? Gotcha. I'm going to drive on the left. But where we're from is a city and a territory that is invading this place, and we take it with us everywhere that we go. Your school system is trying to indoctrinate you against this. Everything in this country is moving you away from the kingdom of God, and our job is to put a blocker there and to say, wait a minute. This is what they say, but as Jesus would say, you say, but I say. See, we retranslate things for people. You are citizens of a kingdom that is under attack. The Bible says that there was a vessel called male. So there's a species called man, and within that species, there were two models. He said there was going to be a male model and a female model. With the male model, there are responsibilities that come with being a man. Deal with it. You cannot avoid it. 
To shuck responsibility is to shuck purpose. God called men to stand in the gap for the family. He comes to the man before woman was even created. He gives the man his command, don't touch the tree. He gives command, the authority to be able to name the animals. He gives the man the ability to be able to walk in his presence. We had communication. We had revelation. We had information before the woman came to the earth. Does that take away from a woman? Absolutely not. It talks, it points to some of the things that us as men are called to do. God will work with us, but we are supposed to be worked through. 1 Corinthians 11 says that God is the head of Jesus. Jesus is the head of man, and man takes that and gives it to his wife. God told Adam two things. He said, work it. The word for work is abad. That word means serve. It means to cultivate. It means take everything that I give you and to bring it to its full maturity. Everything that Adam was given, it was his job to bring God's glory out of it. The very first thing that Adam was given was his calling and his purpose and an intimacy with God. We are supposed to bring the fullness of our calling, our purpose, and our intimacy with God. That is the introduction to our lives as men. That is the foundation to who we are. That is the starting point for our walk on purpose. And after that, God brought him a woman. It is a man's job to cultivate and bring the best out of his wife. Don't complain about your wife. Seek the spirit about how we can partner with him to help her to develop into everything that God has called her to be. That's our job. And I know it's hard, but it's what the text says. To lower the standard, I was outside one day and I saw my boys down the street and they were two houses down and they were just dunking that ball. And I was watching it. I'm actually, I'm not even going to lie, like I started kind of getting impressed because I still had a little longevity in me. So I'm like, man, I'm about to go down there and get with these boys. Like they are getting it, doing all kinds, you know, it was, it was good. I was like, whoa. And then after a while, my, 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 my star factor, it started to lower a little bit because as I started to look, I started to notice the closer I got that the goal wasn't as high as I remember it being. And the closer I got, the more that I realized that my impression, my, my, the thing that was making me so excited, it was because they had lowered the standard. And when you lower the standard, you lose the excitement because, you oh, everybody can do that. Everybody can do a 360 on eight foot. I got a bad knee and I can still yak one on eight foot. God's standards are here for a reason. And when the world sees us jumping to dunk on 10 foot, they get impressed. Everybody can't do what LeBron does. They get impressed when we rise to the occasion. But if we lower the standard where even they can reach it, what did we do? You're a man. Men up. We are called to lead our families and to cultivate them into the image and the likeness of the living God. With everything that we do, every place that we go, every thought process that we have has to be founded on how do I raise my family, the sphere of influence that I've been given into the image and the likeness of the living God. And we cannot do that alone because God called the woman before Adam knew that he needed help. 
God knew that he needed help. You can't do life alone. You can't walk in Jesus alone. You can't. That's why we assemble together. David and I were talking about it before service. There's times where I walk off in here and somebody will say something and it just lifts me up. There's moments where I'm down in the pit and nobody else will know about it because you guys don't know me like that. But my wife will come in the office because I'm trying to run a business and I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that. And everything starts to get so weighty and she'll look me in the eye and she'll say, you got this. And it lifts me up. She's my helpmate. And here's the really cool thing about the word helpmate. It means ezer, eber, neged. Eber mean aid or assistance. And this is crazy, but it's true, Ben, so just deal with it. It's the same word that God used whenever Israel was being taken over by an army, meaning they were getting beat up. And it says that the Lord had to come help them. Is the same word that he used to describe her. It's not a help from a lesser. It actually kind of points to a help versus a you can't do this without her. Everything that Adam was called to do to exercise dominion was incomplete without Eve. And God saw that before Adam saw it in himself. And then he says she was the neged. Not only is she going to help you, how is she going to help you? She is the neged. She is the one that sits opposite of you. God said, I'm going to make an opposite for you that helps you and brings the best out of you. There's aspects to my wife that is so much stronger than me. You can't see it on the surface because you just see the teacher. She sees the man. She fulfills my insufficiencies in ways that you'll never be able to comprehend. But when we come together, when we come together and we're submitted to the same king, the king who tells me how I have to treat her, the king who tells me how I have to love her, the king who tells me how I have to talk to her, the king who gives me boundaries for how to do life, it becomes special. This is why you can't date a man who doesn't know Jesus. Like the whole concept of dating is crazy. It's crazy. God brought Eve to Adam when Adam was ready. Adam had already been walking with the image and the likeness of the living God. Adam was walking in total and complete submission to God. Adam was walking only in accordance to the word of God because good and evil was hidden in another tree. Adam was walking in submission. He had authority. He had a job. He had all of these things. And then God says, okay, now it's not good for you to be alone. That's our kingdom. What does the world do? Whatever they want. I work with fifth and sixth graders who, who celebrate that they've had 16 girlfriends. Are you crazy? Shame on the parents. Somebody's got to say it. Where's the accountability? Image and likeness? Really? No. So what was God's original design for discipleship? That was the environment. Everything that we just talked about, and we can literally talk about that for all day, but I'm looking at the time, and I'm already going to, you know, 10 minutes away from being in trouble. <laughs> Everything that God did in Genesis was the framework for his original idea. Now, think about this. This was before sin. This was before temples. This was before sacrifices. This was before priests. It's before it all. And in that perfect environment, God said, this is how I'm going to replicate my nature in the earth. I'm going to do it 
through the family. Discipleship was and is a product of parents discipling their children. It was never God's idea for the building to be a place where you brought your children to learn about God. Never. It was always in the house. My boys are going to know about Jesus if we never go to another building again. They, we had periods where we couldn't or things would happen in life. They're going to know about Jesus because it's my job to teach them. My wife and I are going to walk in obedience to the principles of the kingdom of God because it's my job to do it. And I'm going to be held accountable before God for everything that he gives me. And what else did he give me? He gave me a wife and boys and family members. So the discipleship factory is you. Because God's design was manifesting the kingdom of God one child at a time. deep like if you really think about it how important does that make you how important does that make the decisions we make on a day-to-day basis how important does that make the structures that we set in our household it's everything you get to replicate and manifest God's nature and plan in the earth all right so now we're about to run because I'm already behind. So God begins with a man called Abraham, against a man called Adam, right? And the original plan was for Adam to bring this kingdom. But, of course, we know that Adam didn't do what he was supposed to do. So we run through history. We've got Noah. We've got the flood. We've got Cain and his seed. And they're doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff. And we get to this man called Abraham. So God's original plan seems to be thwarted. And then he raises it back up with this man named Abraham. Now, I want you to think about this. If you were God. And you're trying to pick a man to restart the plan. What would you be looking for? What would be your criteria, your checkbox? What would be the application that they would have to fill out to get that job? (laughs) We think that, right? Now let's look at what God said. God said about Abraham, this is Genesis 18. So this is after Genesis 12 that we talk about last time where he came and he told him, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. It said, the Lord said, God is about to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And before he goes, he had just told Abraham, one year from now, you're going to have that son that I promised you. But now I'm about to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now look at God's thoughts. He says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? And that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Here we go. For I have chosen him for what purpose? That he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. He said, Abraham was a man that will take my character, that will take my nature, that will take my kingdom, that will take my principles. And he's going to make sure that every person that I set underneath his influence takes those things and runs with him. My lineage will not die with him. My word will not die with him him my kingdom will not die with him it's going to live on because Abraham is going to make sure that the ideas that I put in his head are going to be in the head of his children and his children's children and not just that it's the household that means every single person that he stuck underneath Abraham's influence 
God chose Abraham. Generational man. Kingdom man. So we leave Abraham. And we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all of these people are having sons and there's lots of drama. Me and Christian were talking about the drama this morning. And we... <laughs> And we get to this man called, named Moses. And Moses is called to once again start to build the nation. Matter of fact, God tells him whenever he's calling him out, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God told Moses the exact same thing that he told Abraham. Look, he says, what I'm doing here is not a religion. It's a nation. It's a kingdom. It's a system of living. It is bringing heaven down here to earth. That's what we're doing here. And he repeated the same thing with Moses. So Moses was in charge of setting the framework for how this nation was supposed to function. That was his job. So we come to Moses and we look at what God told Moses to speak to the people. Now here's where you lean in. This is the stuff we're taking home for the week. Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, now this is the commandment, the statue, the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. That's Moses talking to the people. That you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that the fear of the Lord that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons, by keeping all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long in the land. First step in nation building, God says, we as parents cannot walk in hypocrisy. He's led with do them. He led with obedience. Our children are supposed to see the kingdom of God by the way that we live our lives. They're supposed to see the nature of God by the way that we live our lives. We're the replication center. There is a reason that God made children to learn from what they see and not from what they hear. I can tell them all day to do differently, but at the end of the day, a generational curse is a habit or behavior or mindset that is passed on to the children that they continue to replicate and replicate, but it births destruction because it's not in alignment with God's kingdom. And he said, in this obedience, whenever we're walking in this, he says, this will teach them to fear the Lord. Our obedience will teach them to fear the Lord. Our walking in the it will teach them to fear. We talk about the kingdom all the time. My wife, Rang, is tired of hearing about it. Because my wife, every situation, well, how would God handle that in his kingdom? What do you think God thinks about that in his kingdom? This person said, what at school? How would a kingdom citizen respond to that? How would a kingdom citizen do that? What would we do next if we were like, everything is about the kingdom. Why? Because I understand I got to go. We got to go. And I don't know if it's today, tomorrow, or 30 years from now. I have no idea. So I've got to work hard now. I got to plow ground now. I have to sow seed now. I have to show them obedience now. I have to walk in the fear of the Lord now because I want them to remember that dad, every single ounce of him, he lived in obedience to the fear of the Lord. And it's not about being perfect. It's about being committed. It's about having a resolve. It's about saying, come hell or high water, through all the ups and through all the downs, because there's always downs in parenting. If you can't say out, say amen. There's always downs in parenting. 
And so God continues to talk after saying this, and he says, be careful to do them that it may go well with you. And then he hits us with the big one. He says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and with all your strength is what Jesus quoted it in Luke. All these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. Parents, we are supposed to model an all-consuming love for God. What does that look like in this culture? For real, think about it. Where we love everything else. It's so easy to love everything else. It's so easy to have your time that is so filled with everything else. Where do we even make time for God? To be on the cell phone flicking and flicking and flicking and two hours have gone by. And then to watch a movie and another two and a half have gone by. And then to have to go do these things because of the normal check boxes to life. What are we teaching the youth? It's us. Love the Lord your God with all. He made it so simple and yet so difficult. All is the heaviest three-letter word in the whole Bible, in the whole book, because it's birth with conviction, not condemnation. There's a difference. We don't get condemned. We don't get beat up and just quit. We get motivated. All. We've got to ask ourselves, what does all look like in my house today? Men, that's us. We set the atmosphere and the stage for all. And our wives are going to fall underneath us whenever they see us falling underneath Jesus with A-A-L. A-L-L. Right? And last, definitely not last. There's so much more to say, but we're we're going to end it here. Last, he says... You shall teach them diligently to your children. This is heavy. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. He says, you. Now, who was the you? During this time, there, the Levites were there. Remember, he had already established. the. So the priests were there. But do priests live with the children every day? No. Do they rise with them? No. Do they put them to sleep? No. He was talking to the parents. It has always been the parents' job to teach the children about the kingdom of God. He did it with Adam. He did it with Abraham. And now he's saying the same thing through Moses, that the responsibility is not on David and Dave, The responsibility is on us. David and Dave would be like the icing on the cake and the cherry on top. Can you imagine a cake with no substance? How hard it would be to get gratification when you try to eat it. We are the substance. And God says that if we model an all-consuming love, that if we model diligence, and that with every ounce, I love how he showed us what all looks like. Did y'all notice that? He shows you what all love looks like. He says, look, when you wake up, talk about me. When you're out in the streets, guess what you could do? Talk about me. When you come back home and you sit down, guess what you could do? Talk about me. At nighttime, when you're about to go to sleep, talk about me. Matter of fact, you can stick it on your doorpost of your house as a reminder to talk about me. Every ounce of the life, he said, show me you love me. It's us. 
we'll close with this. Last couple slides. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. You know, for the longest time, especially when I became a father in the middle, I'm asking God, like, God, what is the way? Like, what does that even mean? So I start asking 100 people, and I got 120 different answers. I'm like, how are you going to say two things that seem to be the exact opposite? Like, <laughs> what am I going to do with that, God? And I was in the scripture one day, and uh, I was in Acts. And I noticed that in Acts, Paul, right before he was killing people, he referred to them as people that belong to the way. And when you go back and you research, we were never called Christians. That's actually a title that was given to us by pagans in Acts chapter 14. They were first called Christians at Antioch. They were actually called people of the way because they lived the way that Jesus did. So the original depictor or descriptor was based on the lifestyle. And what did Jesus talk about? The kingdom of God. And so then I was in Acts again, Acts 19. And I want you all to notice this. This is, this is amazing. This is Paul talking, uh, describing. And he says, and he entered the synagogue. And for three months, he spoke re- boldly, reasoning, persuading them about the kingdom of God. So we're going to notice that Paul is preaching the same gospel that Jesus preached. And this is Acts. This is after the resurrection. For those of us who are still trying to work in, what does the gospel of the kingdom of God mean? Paul, three months, he's sitting here talking about this kingdom of God. And it says, but when some came stubbornly and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. Paul contrasts the kingdom of God and its teaching as the way. The Bible says, if you train up your children to understand that they're not from here, from a wee age, and all they know is this is how we talk in God's kingdom. This is how we love in God's kingdom. This is how we give. Generosity is just what we do. It's all they've ever seen since they were little. This is how a husband loves his wife in God's kingdom. And if that's what they know in submission to our king, Jesus, our Lord. Dad, why do we act like that? Because of Lord Jesus. Dad, why do we give so much of our stuff away? Man, let me tell you about Lord Jesus. Why are you treat mom like that? You're so forgiving. Man, let me tell you about how Lord Jesus forgave us. If that's the thinking that they inherit, there is nothing that won't bring them back to that. The way. It's not easy. It's not easy. Christian will beg me for Bible studies. I mean, there was a time where we were doing Bible studies and he's begging me every week. Uh, because we were doing these weekly Bible studies. I probably have like 100 teachings that I've made and we're going through them and he's up. I'm exhausted. You know, I work 13 hours, 11 hours a day some days. Uh, Because I start in the morning, I don't end until 7 o'clock, and when I get back, it's like I'm I'm spent. And I've got three hours left to figure out how do I love my wife, and how do I raise the boys, and and I'm tired. I don't want to talk to nobody. It's not easy. It's 
It's not. But we have to remember that every giant mountain began with a small mountain. And every great distance was conquered with one small motion repeated. It's not the big things that are going to change things instantly. It's the small habits that we commit to. It's the small things that nobody else is going to notice. They're not going to know that you're doing them. It's just seed being sown. And you don't even know that it's catching good ground. So there's a concept in the Bible called teshuvah, and teshuvah means to repent. Repentance is where we recognize that we're doing something that we're not supposed to be doing. And then there's this kind of remorse. Some of you might have been feeling it as we were talking about the responsibilities of a parent, because it's hard being a parent. You know, we get to look back on how we raised our children. There's so many times where I'm like, man, I wish I would have did this. Or man, I wish I would have done that. But we can't live in the wish that I would have but we can live in the things that we can do today. So that remorse is actually a really good thing. The Bible says that if we confess our sins one to another, that our God is faithful and just to forgive us. And then we have the opportunity to abandon whatever it is that we know that we're not supposed to do it, and then we can do something about it today. Parents, it was not a request for us to raise our children in the Lord. Men, men, that was a command given to us. And any time that we disobey a command from God, that is called sin and we have to repent. Where does it begin? It begins with the gospel. It begins with the gospel. Jesus knew that we were going to go all kind of crazy ways. He knew we were going to go left when we should have went right. And he made provisions for it long before we even had thought of anything. And that provision allows us today to accept Jesus as our Lord and to start doing things differently immediately. That's good news. That's real good news. Because that means that wherever we walked in here as, God has already empowered us to walk out different. And so if you were a man and your heart was convicted, I'm going to encourage you to come over to Dave when he does his prayer thing in the corner. And let's get this right. Let's start today moving in a different direction saying, as Joshua said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what everybody else do. When it comes to my house, I will go down with the ship fighting for the kingdom of God over these boys. I'm going to stand on truth. I'm uncompromising. I'm not telling you something just to make it feel good. And if it means that I have to go down... And they get to witness what loving God looks like on a, sink, on a sinking ship. Then that's just the way that it has to be. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to challenge you with an action step, man. I'm going to challenge you with an action step. Uh, in Deuteronomy, one of the things that a king is commanded to do is to go through the scripture every single year. 
And it says so that you will never forget all the things that God has done and all the things that God can do. And so that we can understand the principles through that we're supposed to lead by. You can't teach what you don't know and you can't lead where you won't go. Does that make sense? So as men, one of the things that we should be doing is leading our family through the Bible. It doesn't matter if you understand it. It doesn't matter if you get something out of it. You're not going to get something every day. It's not about that. It's not a give me God. It is a habit that fills us with the word of God so that when the Holy Spirit needs it, it's available. So our action step is I'm going to challenge you to make a commitment to go through the Bible this year. And the way that we do it, we do it through the YouVersion Bible app. And all you have to do is you can create an account. You can search for my email and I'll add you and we can start up. And we'll be starting up in a few weeks. And then my wife and I, we did some teaching for the gathering on kingdom marriage. If you want some more information about like what is a kingdom marriage, you can go to my website and we uploaded some videos up there that say kingdom. We got to do something. If you walk out of here after everything that I've said and you don't do anything different today, it's all pointless. It's empty. But I don't believe that that's going to happen because I was watching you guys and I feel like the Holy Spirit was working in each and every one of us and that we're going to rise up. We're going to take the mantle that God has called us to carry and we're going to be kingdom parents. Amen. I'll get Ryan and start hit it up. Uh, there was a, we were at a youth event with Rain, and there was a uh, 40-foot rope in there, and it was like an obstacle course. I was trying, Dave's going to get us, and we're going to go as, as, as a group of men one day. And there's one part where, you know, testosterone gets flowing, and this other guy's there, and we're both looking up at this military rope. And we started off just going together, and somewhere in the middle, it turned into a race. <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's just what happens with men. So we're flying up this rope. And the next thing I know, I hear this. And I look to my right and the dude is falling. And he hits the ground. And through God's grace, like he gets up. We have this moment where, you know, I had to stop being excited that I won a race that we committed to in the middle and be grateful that he's not like hurt. It's crazy. And so the next thing that we went to, there was this wall. And it was a father-son event. And so all the little boys were trying to jump the wall. Have y'all ever seen the military thing where they run to it and they jump up and they grab the wall and they flip over? So I did it and I flipped over. And then all these boys, 8 to 12 years, they're all trying. And nobody can do it. They're all being unsuccessful in getting over this wall. And next thing I know, I see rain. And he's dragging that broken rope across the floor. And one of these dads ran to him. They were like, Stop. And I know my son, so I told him, no, 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 no. Whatever he has in his mind, let him do. Because Rain's a problem solver. It's what he does. He sees, he sees how, to, how to make things work. It's one of his gifts. And so he grabs that rope and he throws it over that wall. And I grab the knot on the other side. And for the next hour, all those boys kept trying repeatedly to get over that wall. Rain was the first one to get over. And all the fathers sat out there. And one by one, the father would go stand next to that wall and he would cheer for his son until his son conquered the wall. And when we got done, we walked away and I said, son, what did you see? And he says, dad, he says, I I used my gift. And when I did, it made it possible for everybody to do something 
that they didn't think that they could do. And it occurred to me in that moment, I'm like, God, this is fatherhood. Like, this is what we do. There's these walls, these generational curses, these these things that nobody in our family has been able to get over. And when we as fathers go there and we conquer that thing, when I got over, they knew it was possible. When I got over the wall, they knew it was possible. And then every dad knew it was possible. When they saw my son conquer it, they stood there cheering until each and every one of their sons conquered the wall. That's life. My dad didn't get over some things, but he got over some things that his dad didn't get over. And I'm going to get over some things that he might not have got over. And every time that I conquer a wall, my son can go further than I'm going to go. My son can do more than I'm going to do. Christian, Rain, Kenyon, they're going to do more than I could have do. They're going to love God more than I could have loved him. They're going to push people towards the kingdom of God in ways that I never would have because we conquer some walls. Men, rise up. Rise up. Rise up. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? If we really love them, I don't want him to go through the things that I went through. I don't want him to have to fight the battles that I fought. I want him to go further. I want him to do things that I can't even comprehend or imagine. I want him to push the gospel to places. I want to change the world. Amen.